Hi everyone, and it's us once again. Hello. Hi, hi Alex. Hi Manoj. Hey David. Hey David. Hey Alex. Good. Uh, first of all, the first order of the day is a quick introduction, and um, I wanted to introduce Manoj, Manoj Chako, who I've known now for twenty years. Manoj, I was just calculating it. I said, "Wow, how time really flies." And uh, just for everyone out there, I have really high regard for Manoj. Uh, he's perhaps one of the reasons why I am where I am, and why I love aviation so much. And this is right from the bottom of my my heart, Manoj. So, so this is something I really, really, you know, remember all those years. Um, but just for all of you, don't take my word for it. Uh, I would say check out Manoj's profile, and just to give you all a brief, you know, overview of the experience that Manoj has. Manoj has worked for multiple airlines. KLM, the grand old daddy of all airlines. I think it still holds the title of the airline with, with the same name, you know, in existence for the longest period of time. Manoj has worked for Emirates. Manoj has worked for Kingfisher. Uh, again, uh, especially at the startup phase, I think Manoj, right? That was even at the startup phase you were involved with Kingfisher. That's correct. And that's right. Uh, Manoj has worked for American Express. So the other side of the business, that is, uh, loyalty is a whole different, uh, you know, credit card loyalty, co-branded cards. That's a whole different podcast again. And then SOTC Kony, and then uh, the last one was Manoj was uh, WNS. WNS. That's one. Of th- that's correct. And uh, the latest is Fly Ninety One. Now I'm going to leave why it's called Fly Ninety One. Fly Ninety One is an airline, correct, Manoj? That is right, uh, David. Starting up, starting up, and uh, why is it called Fly Ninety Nine? We leave that uh, Ninety One. Sorry, is we leave that for a little later. Manoj will tell us the background and story about that. But uh, I would like to say before we start, Manoj has a very strong heart because anyone starting an airline today, either is a billionaire, right, or is a government, or has a very strong heart. It's either of these options. So, um, so I think Manoj goes with a very strong heart, uh, you know, category as well. So, um, really looking forward to this Manoj, and this podcast is going to focus on the business of starting an airline, because we as passengers, we as people working in the airline, take airlines too much for granted, right? We get on an airline, we expect check-in to go smoothly, we think about the brand, you know, we sit in a seat, we expect a certain level of service. But we never think about what it actually got uh, took to get that airline started, right? We never think about that, and uh, we 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 take it as granted, right? I want to fly back to India tomorrow. I say, okay, which airline do I choose? And I just choose an airline, and great. But actually, starting an airline is a whole different ball game. And uh, there was somebody who posted the other day, David. Starting an airline is just like you know buying aircraft from a handful of manufacturers, installing seats from uh, you know a few you know, providers and maybe different shades of lipstick. Is it actually as simple as that? I mean, or is it, I mean, is it oversimplifying it? I think, I think it's, it's oversimplifying it, uh, David. You know, starting an airline is, is far more complex than just getting a few airplanes and flying it from point A to point B. Uh, I think the first point we need to understand is that uh, aviation is a highly regulated business world over. 
so the first hurdle that you need to cross when you start an airline anywhere in the world are all the regulatory aspects, uh, the compliance aspects, the safety aspects, the processes, the procedures, the SOPs, uh, you know, all of that, the licenses required to operate uh, flights, the licenses required to train your people, to train your pilots. So, so there's a whole bunch of regulatory stuff that go into starting an airline. That's number one. Uh, the second important aspect of starting an airline, of course, is the business model. Uh, you know, do you have a good business model? Do you have a relevant business model of what you want to start? So that becomes the second most important element. Uh, the third important element is what is your execution strategy? Because a good airline is only as good as how you execute the strategy to set it up, uh, you know, and get it off the ground. And the most important element after all these things is, are you capitalized well? Because aviation is a capital intensive business and it's very, very important that you need to have the right uh, kind of capital, uh, you know, whether it's the right mix of equity, debt, you know, how you're going to kind of fund the entire process. So it's very, very important that you need to have that strategy right as well. Uh, so if you ask me, these are potentially the four most important elements when you're setting up an airline. You need to have supreme clarity of thought as to how all of these come together. And once all these things are in place, then it is clearly how well you execute the plan. And more importantly, how do you stay true to the plan uh, for year after year after year after year? And if you can do that, you end up with a successful airline. I think that's really, you know, what I would say is what it takes to build out a good airline. Yeah, I think it's a very good overview of the key factors to consider. Uh, please tell us, Manush, a little bit more about Fly91, how you came up with this idea, how you discovered a need for this airline, what would be the business model. Basically, you follow the overview that you just given us point by point and tell a little bit more, please. Yeah, so, so Fly91, so let me start off with the 91 part. So 91 is India's calling code. You know, and basically when you say fly 91, you basically say fly India. Okay, so uh, so 91 encompasses the country. And very clearly our aspiration is to go deep into India the way no other airline has gone in. Uh, our focus is really on regional aviation. Uh, so we are not getting into the mainstream aviation. You know, today if you look at India, India's got over 130 airports uh, and... 68% of Indian aviation is concentrated across the top eight airports in the country. Uh, we still have close to about 70 airports that are underserved in the country, uh, and potentially a lot of them do not even have flights. Uh, and, and these are all well-to-do cities, uh, you know, uh, good economic growth, uh, you know, uh, good quality of uh, income that people have, and there's a need to travel. Uh, but what we have seen is that, you know, that these have not yet been penetrated by aviation for a variety of reasons. Uh, one reason is because either the airports cannot take the larger narrow-body aircrafts or the density of traffic is not enough for, you know, a regular 180, 200-seater aircraft to come in and make it commercially viable. So we are focusing on a very, very simple sweet spot. We are saying that 250 nautical miles is the kind of voyage that we want to undertake. Uh, which typically would take anything from seven or eight 
to 12 hours by road or by rail. And that is the kind of sector that we want to kind of connect. Uh, we're using the turboprop model. So we're actually going in with the ATR 72, 600 aircraft with the 76 seater configuration. Uh, typical flying time would be 45 minutes to 90 minutes. Uh, which actually is, you know, below the sweet spot of the narrow body. So the narrow bodies typically would fly the two hour plus journeys. And we would really focus on, you know, the sub one and a half hour journeys. Uh, and typically where either no flights exist or the density of traffic is not enough for the bigger planes to go in. So that's a simple model that we have uh, primarily connecting tier two, tier three cities in the country. Uh, either between themselves or into the main cities. So, so that's really the simple business model, the regional model, as you call it. Uh, also, it's very interesting that uh, today less than 5% of seat capacity in India is actually deployed on these sectors. 95% of uh, the seat deployment uh, is actually not on these sectors. And that's really where there is a huge headspace. Uh, if you look at, you know, the larger markets like the United States, or if you take the markets like Europe, you will find that regional aviation typically would be in the high teens, uh, you know, and that's the that's the space that we see. Uh, and of course, you know, if you look at India, you know, India's got a huge amount of aircrafts that are placed on order. So we have more than a thousand aircrafts, you know, orders that are placed, but all of them are in the typical narrow body, wide body range. Uh, India today has got less than 80 turboprops that fly. And, uh, you know, so when we look at all of these elements put together, you know, we clearly saw that there is a space for a good, high quality, last mile connectivity regional airline in India. And that is really the space that Fly 91 is getting into. Uh, and our primary aim is to actually be the last mile connectivity airline in India. We don't want to compete with anybody. We want to coexist with everybody. And our view is anybody wants to carry a passenger the last mile into a particular town or city where nobody flies, we are happy to carry them for you. It doesn't matter. You could be an international airline, domestic airline. Uh, you know, we'll happily carry you to the final destination. So these are, so these are basically, you know, the reasons why, uh, you know, I saw an opportunity for a regional airline. And, you know, that space is very, very empty. And we believe that, you know, we can build out a good model out of this. And does it mean that you will be focusing mostly on partnering with other airlines and being the last leg of that journey compared to point to point? Currently, I assume people uh, have to take a train or a bus or drive, right? Um, and then you will, you will enter the market. So partnering with other big carriers, I assume, will be a key role in your strategy uh, am i right assuming this it would it would only be part of the strategy alex so so primarily we will be a point-to-point -point airline uh, and then we would also take feed where feed is available because we are going to be flying a lot of monopoly routes because nobody's flying those routes today uh, and and that's really the idea so we have to be sustainable on a point-to-point -point basis for sure. So we will not start a sector unless we are not sure that we can stand on our own feet. But at the same time, we want to augment the, uh, the number of people traveling on that route by partnering with anybody. And when I say anybody, we are happy to partner with an airline. We are happy to partner with a bus company. We are happy to partner with the railways. It doesn't matter. 
you know, what we are creating is a technology platform with open APIs, which uh, anybody can consume. Uh, I mean, say for, for all, you know, tomorrow, if a food delivery company wants to sell a ticket, you know, we'll be more than happy to allow them to sell it, you know, so... So that's that's the thinking that we have, you know, unlike the classic airline thinking where, oh, this is my sector. I need to only do it if I interline. I can only do it if I code share. You know, we, we are going beyond all of that stuff. We are saying that you can consume my API. My inventory is available to anybody and everybody. OK, you can pick up my inventory and sell it. So, for example, there could be a airline that's flying from the U.S. to Bangalore. Okay, and let's say I'm flying from Bangalore into into a, a tier three city that nobody else flies. We're absolutely happy for that American carrier to actually sell that destination on their network by just picking up the content from my API. Same is the case with domestic carriers, same is the case with LCCs, and same is the case with, let's say, a bus company. There could be a bus company that has got a bus service that comes into the small town and then they want to kind of connect it from there into, let's say, Bangalore, we're happy to do it. As long as you can consume my API, we're happy to kind of do that. So so this is a kind of very differentiated thinking that we are working with, uh, you know, and uh, aviation is all about, you know, getting more people on the plane, right? And it doesn't matter what distribution channel you use to get them on. So we're going back to the basics. Manoj, if I can just jump in there, you spoke a very important, uh, interesting point about business models. And I think the, the biggest challenge we have in aviation, especially for all of us in aviation who've been there for a long time, is that we get stuck on these, fixated on these models, you know, full service, legacy, low cost, you know, and we sort of say we have to follow this model or that model, right? And that's what we sort of, you know, we don't want to break the mold. So what I hear you saying is you want to do it slightly differently, correct? And would you, I mean, I, I know you don't want to tag Fly91 as regional, low cost or whatever, what sort of brand or what sort of tag would you give it in your view? What sort of airline would you call it? So we're going to be a digitally native smart airline. I think that's the way we would we would describe ourselves. You know, we, we are being digital is going to be very, very important for us. Uh, in fact, you know, the level of digital uh, nativeness in India is amazing. You know, and, and there are a couple of data points that I want to kind of, you know, bring out here. Uh, by next year, India would have more than 900 million internet users and uh, most of them on the mobile, you know, not even on the laptops and stuff like that, mobile, number one. Number two is there's no other place in the world where you can get unlimited data connectivity on your phone for under $2, two US dollars. Okay, today in India for, you know, less than 160 rupees, 150 rupees, you know, you can get unlimited, you know, internet on your phone, which basically means that you could be absolutely below the poverty line. Okay, but you still can afford internet. Okay, that's one. Number two is India is one of the very few countries in the world where the entire payments platforms is now completely digital, completely digital. Okay, no other country has actually arrived at the level of digital maturity that India has got, as well as on the entire... So there is digital identification, there's digital payments, so the whole unified payment interface that, that was launched is amazing. I mean, so you have like a billion Indians using that. So the whole country has changed today. So today when you walk on the streets of a small town in India, you will find a cobbler on the road 
actually watching a Netflix movie. Okay, that's the level of digital maturity in India. So if we are setting up an airline in India, it's very important that we need to be digitally native because we are now dealing with a very different uh, ecosystem. But the beauty about that, it helps you with a very different type of uh, distribution. It helps you with a very different type of marketing. Okay, how do you reach out to these customers? Are we going to put full page ads in Times of India like all the other airlines do? No way. I don't think I would ever show up on a full page ad anyway. Okay, but it's really about how do you do targeted marketing? How do you do, how do you communicate to people in their own language? And today technology is available to do all of that stuff. You know, my app would be available in possibly any Indian language today because, you know, technology helps to do it, you know, without any, you know, without costing you any money. Okay, you can you can actually have chatbots talking to your customers uh, in any Indian language today. Okay, so you don't need to have, you know, complex call centers, expensive stuff at the back to support it. So, so we really, really want to be absolutely digitally native. Uh, in fact, we will be the first airline in the world, okay, that is actually going to create a data lake on day one. Okay, and this is again a very interesting point I want to mention to, you know, to you is... Most airlines, you know, all the data is available real time with an airline. Okay, but they don't know what to do till things go bad. Then they will call in the most expensive consultant in the world who will come in, who will pull out, you know, data from... No, they, they'll pull out the same data. They will have ACARS data. They will have fuel consumption data. They'll have distribution data. They'll pull out all the data and they'll come back and explain to you what went wrong and then you're trying to fix it. You know, I would challenge any airline CFO in the world of any airline to tell them, can you tell me right now 356 IST, how much fuel did your company uplift today? They won't be able to give you an answer. They may not even be able to give you an answer as to how much fuel they uplifted yesterday. Okay, creating a data lake, creating a completely new data architecture will allow us to monitor it real time because data is available in aviation real time. So, so we're actually flipping this entire model over to say we want to be a data-led airline. We, we want to use the data to make the right decisions. We want to keep it simple. Again, you know, the simplicity is going to be a core part of our model. But like how I said, you know, we want to be a digitally native smart airline so that we can actually ensure that our costs stay under control and we're able to optimize every single element of driving this business. So I think th this is really the way that we want to be, uh, you know, different, uh, the way we're setting it up. Sounds really great. And uh, in fact, it, it is very different from most airlines that are existent today, right? But I have a question to you. You mentioned data, you mentioned fuel consumption. So I don't know how big of a topic it is in India, but here in Europe, uh, sustainability is a big, big topic. Everyone talking about it. And I assume here in Europe, this idea wouldn't be very welcome that you want to, you know, basically substitute a uh, bus or a train uh, with flying. Um, can you talk about uh, this topic of sustainability and how is it? Is it is it something that you know people are concerned about and talking about? And potentially you see some 
obstacles you know that you would need to deal with or is it not such a big issue in india at the moment or topic for discussion no so sustainability is an important topic for sure it's an important topic and you know i think i think uh, we are a very responsible country when it comes to sustainability uh, i guess the difference between india and possibly europe is or or in you know, other parts of the world is we still have you know Ours is a very, very large country. It's a large country. People need to travel. Uh, you know, the the population that we have, I mean, say 1.3 billion people, you know, that need to travel. Okay, the, the road system, the rail system, you know, while they're all getting upgraded and we're getting some beautiful roads in India, we're getting some beautiful uh, high-speed trains in India, but that is still not enough to meet the needs of people. okay especially when you need to kind of go really fast like yeah you know if if you got a city pair that can be covered in 3 hours by by train like like for example you want to go from paris to london you know i always take the eurostar and i go you know i would never want to be sitting on a plane just because i feel it's not right okay but but the kind of sectors that we are going to fly are not going to be that short or or sectors where you have alternate connectivity available so we are getting into sectors where you would otherwise take 6 to 6 to 12 hours uh, to go by the existing modes of transport and that's the gap that we're trying to that we're trying to fill perfect i mean i think manoj i relate to your point about the size of india because coming from india i know the tra challenges it is with regard to road road and alternate transport as well so i think it's welcome to have and where you have an airline option and uh, just maybe digress a little bit my nephew flew the other day and he had the option of taking a bus or taking a plane and he actually took a flight because the price point was almost the same plus you were saving instead of traveling for 12 hours you did that in less than 2 hours uh you know so so that actually made sense when it comes from a time perspective but uh, india is a very i would call it unforgiving market when it comes to pricing manoj and uh, you know the recent news that the government has called airlines to come and discuss about high pricing uh and you know the price competition that's there so you got the whole bunch of airlines low cost full service but then india is really price sensitive so what are your you know your thoughts about that side of it i mean do you think that's going to go away is it going to sort of get better what what's going to happen from a price perspective so 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 let me put it slightly differently david i mean say uh indians are value seekers you know so we we love to get value <laughs> okay so so it is you know we 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 constantly looking for values you know and that's the reason why you know we always looking for a great bargain you know uh, we we've had the famous bata pricing in india you know which everything ends in 99 you know so 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 we we are people that that love uh, a good deal at any given point of time and in my mind that's more of optics okay so so any business and again you know if you look at it, it's not just aviation you take any business in india you need to be able to show good value to the customer okay and customers are willing to pay for the value provided you put it in the right fashion you know so for example in india i mean say you know just just a, you know if you take an airline like indigo you know i mean so they they brought in the low cost concept so beautifully into the country okay but remember one thing you're eating a sandwich and a coffee for 350 rupees you know so you would you would bargain like crazy to get maybe a 3000 rupee fare but then you're possibly paying 10% of the fare to you know eat a sandwich and a coffee okay but but again you know but again if you look at it worldwide as well i mean say some of the low cost carriers you know the way they have brought in 
ancillary revenues you know i'm i'm, I'm just so amazed by the way airlines like vizair do it you know i mean to the kind of ancillary revenue that they bring in so so i think i think it's all about how do you smartly price yourself okay there would be days when you would not have pricing power there would be days when you have pricing power there would also be times when you don't have pricing power for your ticket but you may have pricing power for certain other elements with the customer okay and and i think i think those are the elements that all need to come together okay and how do you bring it together in a fashion which means value to the end customer becomes a very important point so yes india has been a price sensitive market but we also need to understand one thing about india is that the the disposable incomes with people are actually increasing significantly okay that's number 1 number 2 is as you get into tier 2 and tier 3 cities we found thanks to the pandemic a lot of people actually migrating off into these towns and what they have suddenly seen over there is the cost of living is much lower so suddenly they're earning the same kind of money but they got more disposable incomes you know so they're okay to go spend it on a holiday they're okay to make a couple of you know extra trips you know to visit friends and relatives they're okay to make this uh, international holiday so i think those are all good for aviation in particular and i think that's what we are seeing uh, also the other big point in india today is that you know a large part of the market share is is with a couple of airlines you know so so you got indigo controlling almost 56% of the market share then you got the tata group and spice and all that stuff so there is no fun or there is you know it's actually self defeating for anybody to start getting into price wars okay and i think that's what covid has taught and that's what large market shares have taught okay so i think india has actually started seeing fair stabilizing which is really good okay and the demand going up so yeah so i think we are going to be a fairly rational market for for the times to come and how is going to be your pricing strategy manush are you going to charge 350 for a sandwich <laughs> no we will not i think uh, uh we 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 actually going to work on a lot of value pricing alex you know and uh, you know our our flights are not long enough for us to be selling a lot of stuff on board okay so so we're going to be focusing more on what i would call impulse purchase items for people to buy okay so stuff which you know you you just impulsively want to pick up maybe you know it could just be uh, a can of coke or it could be you know some chips it could be stuff like that but things where you have uh a high margin but at the same time you know it doesn't burn your pocket you know so it's okay to you know pay 100 rupees and pick up a small packet of maybe chips okay but as long as you know we make uh, a 70% margin on the product i'm perfectly fine it's it's better than selling you know 350 rupees of a coffee and a sandwich uh, to 20 people as opposed to selling you know uh, 100 rupees product to 50 people you know so so our focus is more on volume our focus is more on value i think those are those, those are the elements that we would be uh, looking at i just have one question from manoj which is slightly different from the airline side of it it's from manoj as a person manoj i mean you've seen aviation i know you have a big passion for aviation right um we all share that passion but starting an airline isn't that too much of stress 
worry. I mean, what? I mean, I was wondering what's. I mean, your heart. I know your heart is is really really strong and it's good. You know, but why? Why are you? I mean, what's making you start the end and what's driving you forward? Right. You. I'm sure you're having sleepless nights. I'm sure of that. I mean, you can say no, but but I have a feeling. But what's what? What's your driving force? So, so I, I, def, I definitely am not having sleepless nights, David. I mean, I can tell, I, I can, I can, I can absolutely, I can absolutely tell you that. Uh, but, but you know, I, I, I want to, I want to, you know, talk about a very interesting fun fact. Okay, and 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 you didn't mention it right in the beginning. You know, oh, airlines are for the government, and airlines are for you know. Uh, the billionaires who kind of want to start an airline and you know become a millionaire, you know. I mean, so that's the that's a favorite quote I get, you know, I get told. But I want I want to kind of flip this over and tell you a very different side of the story. And I think this is some and and that's really what inspired me. Any time an aviation professional has decided to be an aviation entrepreneur, okay, he's always ended up creating extremely successful airlines. Okay, and I'll start right from Rakesh Gangwal and Rahul Bhatia. Indigo, the most successful airline that India has seen. You move into the Middle East, you know, see Adil Ali and Air Arabia. Again, an amazing, amazing airline. You move up to Europe, have a look at Wiz. Again, same story. Uh, you, you go to the US and you have a look at David Nealman. Okay, David Nealman, I mean, say JetBlue was not his first airline. His first airline was Morris Air, okay, which, if I remember correctly, sold it to Southwest for $180 million. Okay, and then he had JetBlue. I mean, say so he set up six airlines, his latest one being Breeze, a serial airline entrepreneur, including Azul in Brazil. Okay, and in a way, if you look at Tony Fernandez, I think same story. I mean, he started off life as a, uh, in, the, in the airports, you know, before he moved into Virgin and other places. So, so I think it's very interesting to note that, uh, you know, when an aviation professional who understands this industry, okay, sets it up and executes it, it's, it well, uh, you know, I don't see any reason why it should fail. So, so I sleep well at night thinking of all these wonderful people who started airlines, who done extremely well, okay, and, you know, I, I, I go to sleep peacefully having those thoughts in my mind. That is so inspiring, Manush, <laughs> really. So I think you are just uh, looking at it from uh, a perspective glasses uh, half full, not half empty. And uh, that's what I really admire. And I guess that's the only way to really start any business, right? You have to believe in what you do. You have to believe that you will succeed. Otherwise, what is the point if you already think that you might fail? Um Thank you so much for really opening up this world of, uh, you know, startup airlines uh, to David and myself. And uh, I want to wish you the best of luck with uh, Fly 91. Uh, I'm not that often. Uh, well, in fact, I've been only once to India. <laughs> but I just want to say next time I'm there, I really hope to see, uh, you know, uh, planes with uh, Fly 91 livery flying all over the place. Thank you. Thank you so much, Alex. And, you know, I I definitely love for you guys to be here when, you know, when our first flight takes off, you know, just take it as an open invitation to be on our inaugural flight. It's on recording, right? You know this, Manush, right? So there is no way back. <laughs> yes, of course. Of course, I know that. Sounds great. <laughs> no, there's, there's no going back. And Manush, which... 
Which which would be if I can ask, and if it's not a secret yet, or uh, which would which could okay? Let me put it a different way. Which could be the first first route? So I can I can tell you one thing for sure is that uh, our first route is going to be out of Goa because that's where we are going to be, where, oh. where we are going to be headquartered. Uh, we 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 actually going to be the first airline that's headquartered out of uh, Goa. And our first six aircrafts are going to be based out of Goa. So what I can tell you, so while, you know, we all say that the network plan is a secret source of an airline, I can share 50% of the secret with you. So I can tell you that, you know, it's a route starting out of Goa. <laughs> Manoj, uh, I mean, you made me even more jealous now. See, they talk about the convenience of working from home. I talk about working from Goa. You can't find a better place to work from as an airline. So to anyone listening out there, you know, you can't get a better head office than in Goa. Right, Manoj? Would you agree with me on that? No, absolutely. Absolutely, David. And, and, and the thing is, you know, Goa is a brilliant place. There are two reasons other than that. Goa is the only place in India where two airports actually exist, uh, you know, within a 60 kilometer distance of each other, two fully functional airports. Uh, nowhere else in India do you have it. Uh, and Goa is a place which has got an amazing quality of life, quality of education, healthcare. So very interestingly, the day Fly91 was announced, you know, we've had a whole bunch of pilots and engineers who reached out to us saying, hey, you know what, uh, just, just, for, just for the quality of life and for being able to stay with our families and, you know, uh, all of that kind of stuff, we would love to come and fly for you. And, and, and my instant answer, question is, hey, you know, I'm going to be flying the ATR-70 to 600s. And we've got captains who fly the 777s, the 330s, the 320s, uh, you know, the 787s actually wanting to come and come back to the ATRs. Uh, so, so that's been very encouraging, uh, you know, so obviously we're looking forward to it. Thank you, Manoj. And what a nice note to end on. Manoj, once again, wishing you all success and we'll be there for the first flight. Uh, we take you upon your offer and uh, here's to success for, for Fly 91. Thank you. Thank you, David. Thank you, Alex. Thank you so much. Hi, everyone. It's us again here. Hi, David. <laughs> Hi, Alex. Yeah, so we just had this amazing, inspiring conversation with Manush. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, and now, basically, we, we just want to um, share our thoughts on the topic with you, discuss what we talked about with uh, Manush. Yeah, just a free-flow conversation. I guess that's a plan for the second part of this episode. Definitely, Alex. But, you know, I was just thinking about one thing when we were doing this podcast uh, is that, you know, airlines, the actual airline is the least profitable of the entire aviation, you know, ecosystem. Everyone else seems to make money except the, the actual airline itself, right? That's, that's pretty strange. But, but then you think, what happened if an airline was not there, then you would not have this entire beautiful ecosystem, you know, the airports, the, uh, you know, the suppliers, the catering companies, and all these min millions of jobs, which we think of, of when you think of aviation, you know, the millions of jobs it created would simply not be there, you know? So it's, it's really such a strange industry, but it's such a beautiful industry as well. It is, and I think when airlines fail, they fail big, but when they succeed, they succeed also with billions of profit, right?
Correct. And that's where that leads us to what Manoj spoke at the beginning about, you know, the different sort of stages of, of starting an airline. And I'm just referring to my notes very quickly here. So he talked about the regulatory side. He talked about the business model side. He talked about the strategy, especially the execution. He talked about funding and capitalization, right? But what do you think, you know, in your view is out of these, the most important one? Which do you think is the important one? Oof, it's almost like when you ask uh, which kid you love the most. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't have kids, by the way. Um, I don't know which, which stage is the most important. I think it's a mix uh, of everything. So we've seen some airlines getting the business model right, but then the execution, they are failing with the execution. Uh, we've seen uh, cases when the business model was maybe not ideal, but execution was really good or the government side um, was lacking. So I, I think really it's um, it's a combination of everything. That's a secret recipe. I can't I can't pick one and say that's the most important um, factor for success. What do you think, David? No, I, I tend to agree with you. And I think, you know, it's always a combination of, of uh, different things, including timing as well. You know, I think it's sometimes you started an airline at the right time is also important, even though other elements may not be in place. Uh, you may have every element in place, everything perfectly mapped out. But then again, something just sort of seems to sort of go wrong. Uh, I believe that airlines need to be a little bit more flexible. And I think what we have as an industry is inflexibility. We say, oh, we are in we are this type of airline or that type of airline. We don't like changing the way we think things should be. So I think one thing that is should be focused on is the flexibility. How soon can airlines sort of change course if they decide something is not going right? You know, that's what I think is sort of sometimes lacking the way we do things. And I think it goes back to what Manoj talked about regulatory you know, requirements, because the regulations tend to push airlines into this sort of box. The type of aircraft that you buy tend to put us into this sort of box, you know. So I think that's the biggest challenge that we have in terms of it. But there's also one, one word that he used is supreme clarity. I mean, uh, of how you get all these things together. Many times we think, oh, things are going to change, things are going to change. We're a very optimistic industry. So we tend not to do things as quickly as we should, you know. So that's where I think the challenge is, is Alex, in terms of the overall business model. But then again, you know, you have the question, right? Is it easier to restructure an airline or is it better to start a new airline? You know, so that's that's the chicken and the egg, I think, sort of scenario to a certain extent, if you, if you can call it that. Yeah, I think we, we discussed this off uh, record a little bit. And, uh, you know, the the example that I have in my mind is ETA Airways. <laughs> was it was it better for them to, you know, um, start a new airline as ETA? Or, you know, uh, maybe it was better to actually put an effort and restructure the existing airline? I, I really don't know. Um, Personally, I think there is no point of starting a new airline from scratch, uh, but having this as a part of your history. I think if you're going to do it, maybe you can just do rebranding or restructuring. And if you start a new airline, do completely different. Don't carry this past with you. That, that's my personal opinion. 
Yeah, exactly. I think what happens is when you start a new airline, but with the same old people, you carry actually the same mindsets actually to the new airline, right? So you're, you're actually gone to zero for no particular reason because it's the same people, right? And uh, I think while we look at the lovely planes and we marvel at those mechanical wonders, it's ultimately the people that actually make an airline a success or a failure, right? And that's where I think mindset is key. Mindset is critical, uh, but, I, but, but that's where it is, right? So it depends. Certain times, restructuring an airline would be much better. Starting an airline would be much better in certain situations, provided you've got a different set of eyes. How right? do you do that? Then you, you need to basically just hire like 100% or at least a majority of new people, right? Otherwise, as you said, you carry those values, you carry the mindset, you carry the, the, the way of doing business, right? So there is no change. I know, but let's take Riyadh there, right? Using Riyadh as an example, it's a completely new airline. Uh, you've got a good mix of people looking at the senior management that are there now. So they are a mix of traditional full service carriers. You've got people from the low cost side of the business. You've got people from a whole set of different airlines as well. So you've got this sort of mix of different people coming together into this vision of this big airline connecting the world, connecting Saudi Arabia. Uh, you know, the funding is there. So capitalization is not an issue. Regulatory oversight is there. So they've got all the right ingredients. And I think with this mix of people that they have, they've got a good chance of actually, you know, succeeding in the longer term. But then my question comes back to governments have never been very successful <laughs> at, at actually, you know, running an airline, uh, you know, and your example of, uh, of should I call them Alitaj? <laughs> should I call them Aita? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no matter what name you call them or what jazzy livery, we all say, wow, it looks really nice. Governments like Air India, you know, that's a recent example also like Air India. Governments have never been successful at starting airlines, but, uh, but then that's the challenge, right? The governments are the people with the money. Uh, normal entrepreneurs, and there was this joke on a post that I put in where, you know, you want to become a millionaire from a billionaire, start an airline, uh, is where you have the challenge. But, I mean, I still believe, and I don't know, I could be wrong, is that governments are going to take a more and more active role in running airlines in the future, even though many governments in Europe have st stepped away, right, from running airlines, I have a feeling that's going to change. I don't know. I could be wrong. Yeah, I guess uh, time will, will show, and uh, but still, it's a it's a big um, question for for a debate, right? So, is it fair that governments are owning airlines, and is it giving a competitive advantage? Because obviously, the capital, as you said, the investment, um, is not an issue then, and for airlines. It is an issue, so they, they really struggle to get this initial funding and to get things going. And that's why maybe the technology investment is so minimal, because it seems that it's not the top of priority for, um, for airlines owned by the government. That's not an issue. And that's what I hear as well about all the new airlines starting 
with this, you know, this back support of governments that people say, mm, is it really fair competition then? I don't know. Personally, as, as a passenger and also as someone working in the industry, I really want to see innovation. And if this innovation is coming from the airline that is financially supported by government, I personally don't mind. I just think that all the things, technology are so old school at the moment. So I really want to see some sort of development. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think, you know, it's time that we have a good mix of innovation, government regu- uh, you know, oversight and government-private partnership actually working very closely together. Uh, you know, and if that happens and the country that sort of puts that together correctly, quickly, will be the one that succeeds. You know, you've got things like sustainability, you've got things like, you know, uh, slots in terms of bilateral rights, all that where you have a big government influence in it. But then the government should also realize that Whoever wants to start an airline, you know, should be given the support, you know, whether it comes to innovation, funding, a sort of like a, maybe they should start a sort of bank focused on funding airlines for the right entrepreneurs. Like I was joking with Manoj about his sleepless nights. And then he said, no, David, I don't have sleepless nights because I know very clearly what I'm going to do. But I'm sure that a lot of other entrepreneurs have these sleepless nights wondering, you know, where is funding going to come from? If you look at uh, examples from Europe, Norwegian, uh, long-haul, low-cost, which nobody has seemed to be able to to make work. And I think now you've got Norse Air, right? Did I pronounce that correctly? I think it's Norse Airways, yeah. Yeah, Uh, so sort of took over from where Norwegian left off. Uh, They say not really. Really? No? Yeah, we... we... Well, yeah, I, I, I don't think they like to be described uh, the ex-Norwegian, but uh, yeah, that, I, I believe that's how it is as well. But how would you look at them? I mean, if you, if, let's forget Norwegian, it's gone, it's, it's over, it's history. Let's look at Norse, right? They've got seven, eight, sevens, they've got about 10 of them. They're flying to the US, they're doing long haul. I mean, what, I'm, and they're essentially a new airline. Let's say they're essentially a new airline. Do you think they would succeed? Uh, where others have failed or do you think right now they're at the right time perhaps what do you think uh, that's a really good question I actually flew north uh, I didn't fly Norwegian uh, which I regret because I heard so many good reviews but north I flew once from uh, LAX to Berlin and it was really amazing so I flew in their um, premium so like they only have basic economy and like premium economy uh, so I flew in the premium economy uh, cabin and it was really, really enjoyable flight. People were super friendly, service was good, seats were great, non-comparable to legacy, European legacy premium economy, much bigger, much wider, better recline. And and the price for that flight was also very good. Um, but then, you know, um, I was just telling everyone how good they are. And one week after they cancel this route from LAX to Berlin. So I assumed that it was not profitable for them. This is a big struggle, uh, you know, to be competitive. Those newcomers, they have to set competitive pricing, right? So to attract people. But there is a very thin line or fine balance between setting competitive pricing and still being profitable. And I think that's where they struggle the most. 
And I, and I think, you know, taking your example further, you know, you had a great product, uh, you had a great product, great service, nice people. But if you look at the trans transatlantic sector, which I think is the best example of, of long haul, low cost, you know, you've got high density routes, but the challenge is you've also got a lot of legacy carriers as well. And, you know, you want to try and break into that monopoly of, of the legacy carriers because it, for them it's high yield traffic as well. You've got a lot of premium business, you've got a lot of economy business as well. So that's the challenge I think new startups, any new startup would face, would face, right? Even if you take a traditional new airline starting up on those particular routes, the big guys don't take it very kindly. And especially when you're part of an alliance, right? Whether, and most of the alliances have, are, are present across the Atlantic, right? The transatlantic route. So whether you look at the big hubs like Heathrow or France or Paris or Amsterdam, this monopoly sort of is there that sort of prevents new airlines from actually even surviving long term. Yeah, I think that's a very good transition, David, into what we wanted to also discuss. How, how as a newcomer do you market yourself in those hubs that are highly dominated by legacy or by alliances. So now we know that JetBlue will be starting um, flights from Amsterdam. If I read it correct, they still didn't announce the date yet, but they announced that they will be starting later this summer. Um, so Amsterdam, yeah. Also from Paris, the Paris route is already, uh, Paris flights already on sale. So how JetBlue, <laughs> um, just for the sake of this example, or North, because North will also start flying from Paris, how do they position themselves to actually win competition or at least get some portion of this market? Because I read somewhere that, you know, 99% of this route from Paris to, to JFK is Air France, Delta, or Sky Team Alliance. So what does, does JetBlue need to do? <laughs> I think, you know, going back to the first critical issue that airlines have is the profitability on a route, right? Uh, so, so if you find yourself not profitable on a route, you're then forced to, you know, take yourself off on that route, unless, of course, you're able to find the right size aircraft or the right pricing for that route. Now, pricing is the tricky part because normally, you know, pricing can be easily matched and the legacy guys, the long, the guys who've been there can match you or even undercut you for a really long period of time. So I think the, the key thing for Jetpool, using Jetpool as an example, which is great, is the ability of narrow body aircraft to fry long haul. But that's where you talk about the experience. And I think that's why I've been reading really good reviews about JetBlue's Mint, you know, their premium class. So they're a funny airline in the sense they're supposed to be not actually low cost, they're sort of hybrid, but then their, their, their Mint product or their business class product, whatever you want to call it, is actually as good or even better than, than the legacy carriers. So I think that's why they sort of succeeded in London when people really like this product even though you may say, oh, I'm not going to fly a narrow body aircraft. And I think that that's the reason why they could have some similar success in, you know, Paris or in Amsterdam. So I think it also comes back to the aircraft type, which gives them the flexibility in terms of costs versus a 787. Aircraft type and, and the product itself, right? Because Mint, I haven't flown Mint. It's 
on my wish list for so many years already. But I've even I flew JetBlue economy a few times in the US from LAX to GFK. And I must say, like, this is really the best economy that you you can get there. The legroom is amazing, free Wi-Fi, which is actually working, you know. <laughs> and then you get all these really nice small things like uh, free drinks, free snacks. Um, and and um, the thing that I love the most about them is just the attitude. You step on board and you just feel like you've been taken care of. So I think the product, the attitude, and you know that uh, JetBlue's uh, motto was initially to bring humanity back to air travel. And that's exactly how it feels. So I personally, I wish them all the best and only success in, in any new market they start. And I really hope that they can, you know, make it work in Paris and in Amsterdam and maybe coming to Germany sometime soon in the future. <laughs> and I think, yeah, I think that's, a good, uh, that's, that's what we wish them all the best because they sort of opened the pathway for other airlines to sort of adopt a similar model. And it all goes back to their initial founding and the visions vision that they have that sort of continued to this day. So we just hope that any other new airline brings the humanity. I mean, you put that right, right? Brings the humanity back into travel. So it's not just about the planes, the funding, the routes. It's about, like you said, wow, I, I like that experience. You know, it's what brings the humanity back. That's what makes people talk about airlines. That's what made people feel so passionate about airlines versus saying, you know, yeah, I flew them, you know, great, it's okay, that's fine. But, but that's the change. That's what a new airline needs to do, bring the humanity back, you know. Exactly. I even uh, read somewhere that when they started this first transatlantic route to London from GFK, so internally to select the crew that will be flying, they had like a sp almost special selection process, special application process. They only wanted people who really want to fly that route. And that's that's what it is, right? That's what it is, whether it's passengers or staff. It's both these two elements, which is still the human element, Alex, you know? That's what I believe really makes an airline stand out, succeed for the long term. I mean, we can we can do a whole, uh, whole episode on people, right? So, but, but yeah, I'm conscious of time as well. And, and, and just going back to what Manoj spoke about, you know, the last mile connectivity, uh, you know, things, things like that. I think we've more or less realized today that it's not just about the route, the air route. It's about how airlines are able to connect, uh, you know, with other sources of transport. Just yesterday when I was uh, just driving in Abu Dhabi, we had the cruise terminal. So I saw this huge cruise ship over there. And I said, wow, there are thousands of people on, on, on the cruise ship. But when you actually look at the relationship between the cruise ship and the airline industry, it's actually a big, big relationship because, you know, both of these industries sort of work together, mesh together of, you know, cruise versus airline, right? You take a flight, you go on your cruise. But I think, you know, the future of, of airlines are going to disappear where we are not going to have airlines. We're not going to have the word, uh, you know, aviation geeks. The word is going to disappear. It's going to be more. I would. Oh no! Yeah, I, I mean, how are we going to be called, David? How are you and me are going to be called then? <laughs> and 
And that's what we'll have to decide what the new term would be because it's not just going to be about aviation. It's going to be about road, rail, car, uh, bus, uh, you know, whatever, uh, modes of transportation. So I think maybe we'll be called transport geeks, but it doesn't sound as well, good. But... I don't want to be a transport geek. <laughs> <laughs> I am aviation geek. I don't want to be a transport geek. <laughs> yeah, I know it, it's not as nice as it sounds, but I think, you know, that's the reality of, of, you know, smaller planes, you know, these electric aircraft, you're able to connect from small taxi service into whatever. But what do you think? What do you think about the future? I mean, I know, I mean, transport doesn't sound good, but intermodal gigs. That sounds very, that doesn't sound good as well, right? Okay, okay. That, that, that's a challenge that we have for you, our listeners. If you have a better option for, for the future of aviation gigs, uh, how are we all going to be called? Uh, send us a message. <laughs> <laughs> the, best, the best options will be announced in the next episodes. But uh, seriously speaking, I think you are absolutely right. The, the future is intermodal and the future is in seamless connectivity and we already see very strong players in the market enabling this connectivity like Tohop for example yeah uh, we see examples where EasyJet is partnering with Deutsche Bahn to enable these seamless trips and Deutsche Bahn joining Star Alliance I, I'm still to figure I still need to figure out how I will be able to earn my miles, Lufthansa miles, while traveling on the Deutsche Bahn train. Um, I'm very curious about this, but I think it's a big step forward, right? A, a, a national rail company is joining Airline Alliance. That's the first of a kind. Correct. And I think that's the way the future would be. And you see more and more of the new joiners to the industry in terms of the new aircraft, you know, uh, are not from the industry or they were not directly associated with the industry. So that's where I think the future is going to be. But again, like I said, is, you know, we are what we are. We are passionate about aviation. What's your one favorite sort of airline that stands out that you really say, this is an airline that I really love, I'm passionate about, you know, it's the model for what airlines should be. I have to say JetBlue again. Like, really, I am so in love with this airline. I only flew them a handful of times. So maybe I'm just lucky to only have this positive experience with them. But also it's all the things that I see and read. You know, I read a few books about them. I know some people working there. And you see this culture and you see how they are proud to be a part of this airline, how they project and send exactly the same message. And this message is really coming from the heart. You see it even on LinkedIn, yeah, if you are uh, in connection with some of the people. So I really think JetBlue is such a great example uh, of, a, of a new airline. And uh, again, wishing them only the best. What's yours? You cannot say JetBlue, uh, otherwise people will think JetBlue is sponsoring our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I know, Alex. No, mine is a little bit of a different one. There are quite a few, I would call it, favorite ones that I have. But one that sort of stands out for a number of different reasons is Virgin Atlantic. Uh, the, reason, the reason I take Virgin Atlantic is, of course, is somebody who came from outside the aviation industry 
somebody who had to you know really struggle to start against you know very well established sort of players and i think what stands out even today is as a brand you know i have not flown them personally but as a brand they still come they still come across as a unique non aviation non airline brand you know they still do a lot of things which are not airline like uh you know and i also love the way that they name their planes as well so their planes have also got such fun names as well but i think why they stand out is the brand virgin atlantic of course a number of the other virgin you know brands from an airline perspective are no more they no longer sort of exist as a brand but that's i think is something that leads me to maybe the last point i want to make is that the airline business model is going to move more and more to franchising wherein you will not be having airlines starting from ground up you're going to have these franchise models like mcdonalds david you are just ruining it we're going to be called a transport geek so we're going to have mcdonalds airlines what's next i don't want to be a part of it i'm signing <laughs> off <laughs> I know so I I I I sort of think you know we need to sign off on that is first question is what do you think aviation geeks are going to be called into the future and do you believe that McDonald's has a future in the airline business when it comes to franchising so we leave we let our listeners actually you know answer that uh, and uh, maybe see see what they have to say right yeah and I think I want to end with this thought that I have You know, you mentioned Virgin Atlantic. I did mention JetBlue. We spoke with uh, Manoush. What's one thing in common is this entrepreneurial spirit, right, of found founders. So Richard Branson, who started Virgin Atlantic, David Nealman is a perfect example. He started so many exceptional and successful airlines and then we just spoke with Manoush who also inspired us about the future of aviation not only in India in the region but worldwide so i i'm just hoping to see more and more really creative strong entrepreneurs stepping into this field and starting exciting new airlines so very 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 true alex because without these people who actually dared to dream not just to dream but actually implement the dream is what makes this industry the way it is you know and hats off to them uh, hats off to more of the entrepreneurs that we say forget technology become you know become airline entrepreneurs that's what is going to make a difference in the world yeah Okay dear listeners it's been us transport geeks uh, David and Alex and uh, we see you next time and don't forget the McDonald's and don't forget the McDonald's exactly <laughs> bye thank you bye everyone